Welcome to Arts Monday Simpoesis on ESET Radio 89.7 FM. This program takes place on the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, traditional custodians of this land, and I pay my respect to the elders, past, present, and yet to come. My name is Ira, and I will be with you for the next hour and a half. With me in conversation today will be dancer and choreographer Ryuji Fujimura, with whom I met to talk about his Here Now trilogy, a series of three autobiographical solos that will be performed in Sydney throughout August. The first two solos, How Did I Get Here and How I Practice My Religion, will be performed from the 2nd to the 6th of August at the Old Fitzroy Theatre in Woolloomooloo. And the third and final piece in the trilogy, titled Fall, Falter, Dance, will premiere at the Riverside Theatres in Parramatta on August 11. My conversation with Ryuji was recorded a couple of days ago via a Zoom call from Zagreb, Croatia, where I currently am, to Sydney. In the next half an hour, you will hear us talk about the themes that have informed Ryuji's works, such as body memory and the experience of aging, stage fright, and the addiction to the audience connection, professional setbacks and humor as a tool for recovery, usefulness of a dramaturg in the development of the works, homage to the 80s dance flicks, and more. You are on ESET Radio. This is my conversation with dancer, storyteller, and choreographer Ryuji Fujimura. before we dive into all these works in the trilogy, perhaps you could tell us where you are, where are we finding you at this moment as we speak to you, what is surrounding you, what are you looking at? It's uh, just after 8pm, Australian Eastern Standard Time Zone. I am in my bedroom slash office. Is this where you tend to create your works? Where the ideas for the works come? Not really. It's a tiny room. Well, it's not tiny, tiny, but it's a, a, I live in a small apartment in Sydney, in a city area. So I can't really move around. <laughs> but sometimes idea comes up. And it is evening now in Sydney, 8 p.m., is this the time of the day where you find yourself most articulate, most ready to speak about your ideas or to even come up with the ideas? What is your time of the day where you feel most creative and most awake to ideas? Uh-huh. 
Probably not right now, because I had to dinner with a couple of glasses of wine. <laughs> so I'm not as articulate as I could be uh, probably like at 2 p.m. <laughs> and are you a morning person normally or? I am a morning person, yeah, yeah. Mm. So from Tuesday the 2nd to Saturday the 6th of August, you will be performing mm -hmm. two of your dance solos at the old Fitzroy Theatre, which is in Wollamaloo. One of them is How Did I Get There? And then the other is called How I Practice My Religion. And they're both a part of a trilogy of dance solos, the first two chapters of it. How would you introduce this trilogy in few words? They are all biographical or autobiographical. It's based on my own experience or my own feeling. And what were some of the first thoughts or concerns or questions that sparked your uh -huh. idea to initiate these works? How did they emerge? So I made the first piece of trilogy, How Did I Get Here in... 2014, I've been performing for, oh, I don't know how many years, since 2002 or 2003. And I always thought I was an ensemble performer and I never thought of performing solo. But then when I was involved in a project with the Force Major Dance Theatre Company in 2012, the company's then artistic director, Kate Champion, said you should make a solo because you have a unique presence and that was 2012 and I thought mm, not really because um, I'm an ensemble person not a solo person but then uh, 2014 that's the year I turned 50 so I thought maybe just once in my life I should make a little solo work to commemorate having lived for half a century so the first piece, how did I get here, investigate our changing perception of time? Because as you get older, the time feels faster and faster. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, the first piece. Uh -huh. And when I completed this piece, I thought, oh, maybe I should create two more pieces to make uh, full-length work. Because uh, I felt it's just daunting to create one evening length work over one hour about one thing. So I thought, oh, maybe if I make three short pieces, then one day maybe I can present it as an evening length piece. Mm. That was my next question, whether this idea to make the trilogy was present for you from the very beginning of making this first piece in 2014, and now you just answer that. I'm also now considering, given that you said that there was a transition from you being a performer within the group, within the company, mm -hmm. and then transitioning into being a solo performer. I was wondering if there was something addictive about being solo on the stage. <laughs> um, hmm, that's a good question. Um, it's not really transitioning. It's just uh, extending my practice. And I still strive to be a good ensemble performer, you know, the working in group working as an ensemble feels more um how should i put it safe because uh, uh, working on your own 
can be quite lonely and sometimes I feel lost. Uh, mm. Yeah. Mm. The title of this first piece is How Did I Get Here? Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, what does this here refer to? I'm assuming it's the age because you have been speaking about turning half of century. Is this correct that here is how did I even get to this age? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Primarily, yes. Yeah. What else? If it's primarily that, what are the other here? <laughs> here as a Australia. Mm -hmm. And when did you get to Australia? What was your age when you came from Japan here? I first came to Australia in 1991 when I was 26 years old. And this is the age when you, in fact, began to dance. You discovered dance in a more professional way. Can you talk to us a bit about yes. how it began for you? Well, it's, it's, it's not the professional way straight away because I have never had the formal training as a dancer. But I did my first dance class when I was 26 years old in Melbourne which is the subject of my second piece, uh, How I Practice My Religion. I saw a poster of lunchtime dance class. That was 30 years ago. So it was called Modern Dance, Not the Contemporary Dance. And it took me a long time before I decided to try the class, but I did. And that kind of changed the trajectory of my life. The other day you have sent me the list of keywords that describes each of these pieces in the trilogy. And how did I get here? The first time in the trilogy had the following words attached to it. Time, aging, mortality, autumn, and existential. And then the second one, how I practice my religion was described through a question, what makes dance? And you also associated the concept body memory to it. Can you speak yeah. about that one a bit? And uh -huh. maybe how did that one progress from the previous one? Was it an extension or departure in some way in the way you were thinking uh -huh. at the time? Um, there's no direct connection between the two pieces. Uh, the second one has more personal and the first one is more abstract. Uh, and the second one has uh, lots of text. Uh, if I explain too much, that's going to be a spoiler, but I kind of deconstruct what I have stored in my body or what I have archived in my body over the last 30 years. Tell me a bit about those archives. Who were your teachers? We just started talking about your beginnings in dance when you were about 26. Who are some of the most influential dance practitioners that left this arhavit in your body, this mark? Oh, um, hmm. Well, because, well, since I started dancing 30 years ago, I have done so many classes and workshops and I met dance practitioners. And I often feel as a dancer, each of us has a library inside our body. And we often exchange books or present books so that your library constantly changes or you get books more and more as you get older. 
being influenced by many, many different practitioners all over the world. So it's hard for me to just name one or few. Mm. Would you say that you as a dancer have a particular style? What can we as the audience usually expect from Ryuji Fujimura on stage? Uh -huh. Uh, because I started quite late as a dancer and also I've never had uh, formal training. So I've done all sorts of different classes, uh, including contemporary and the body weather, which is kind of a not kind of brutal practice. Uh, so I don't really have any particular style to follow. Although, if anything, release technique, which is a contemporary one of the contemporary dance technique is kind of dominant in my body. But then again, my body is still curious and I'm open to new styles. So I enjoyed all sorts of dance or the sensation created by all sorts of dance. Eastern Radio 89.7 FM. This is Arts Monday Simpoesis, and you're listening to the conversation with dancer and choreographer Ryuji Fujimura, whose trilogy of dance solos, How Did I Get Here, How I Practice My Religion, and Fall Falter Dance, is showing in Sydney this August. The 11th of August, you are about to premiere the third and final piece in the Here Now trilogy, a solo dance called Fall Falter Dance. If I was to interpret this work merely by seeing the title, I would imagine that it is about perseverance, about continuing to dance no matter the obstacles. Is this correct? Yes, that was the departure point of this work. Uh, there's the old Japanese proverb called seven falls or fall seven times and get up eight. It's about perseverance as well as uh, um, uh, what's the word? Um, not the resistance. Um, start with R. Resilience. Yes, yes. Um, so that was the departure point. And then I've been making this work for over uh, three or four years. So it's evolved a lot. And still it's about resilience and perseverance, but also it has encompassed many other elements as the work was developed. Speaking about those other elements, as I mentioned earlier, you sent me some of the keywords for each of these pieces the other day. And with this one, Fall, Walter Dance, the keywords that you associated with it were connection, resilience, mm -hmm. recovery, vanity, and the question, why perform? So we just spoke a bit about resilience, but I would love to unpack all these other words. Firstly, let's talk about connection. What do you have in mind there? Connection to what or to whom or between what? So that I've been performing, I think, nearly 20 years now, and in person, I'm quite private and introvert and shy. I'm not the natural born performer. You know, the some performers are just so 
natural and extrovert and they have no fear. I'm not like that. Um, each time I perform, before I get onto the stage, I have a stage flight. But nonetheless, I'm still performing. So what is it? That's what this piece asks. Why do I want to perform? Not to give an answer, but I think I perform because, uh, because I enjoy the experience of feeling connected to the audience. Yeah. Mm. One of the words that you also listed was vanity. Is this somehow connected mm -hmm. to this desire to perform? This we spoke about addiction as well of receiving, you know, being under the spotlight. Yeah, 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 yeah. I wonder what that um, also plays a part. Uh, and hmm, yeah, I think there's something, something about being in the spotlight. And I also explore this element of performance in this work. Hmm. You say that before you go on the stage, you feel stage fright, which I think many performers do. There are many wonderful performers who are actually quite shy and introverted, and then they come on stage and something shifts, something changes. Do you have that experience that as soon as you step on this quadrangle spot, that something yeah. just transforms immediately? Yeah, more or less. And it's like a, once I get onto the stage, I get charged like electricity from the audience. The degree of the charge varies. Ideally, I get the full current, but it doesn't happen always. Uh, but I think that's all part of a life of performer. Mm. And this sense of not getting what you were hoping to get is part of this work as well. You speak about this personal experiences yes. of what one could call performer failure. Mm -hmm. And then there is another word that's listed in what you sent me, and it's the word recovery. So I'm curious, how do you recover from this perceived sense of failure that something either didn't work or it worked, but it wasn't appreciated enough? What grounds you and provides this sense of resilience that you despite of all that you continue? I think it's all comes down to my love for dance. Because <laughs> uh, um, I always see my dance practice like uh, I just continue to walk on the pathway. Over the last 20 years, I have come across with uh, some setbacks and disappointment or failure, but I'm still dancing and I think you can just keep going if your passion or your love for something is strong enough. It's almost like you don't have a choice. Yeah, that's one way to put it. No. Mm. Hmm. I guess I have always choice, but somehow I'm just stuck in this path. We spoke about age a little bit when you spoke mm -hmm. about the first of three works in the trilogy, which is called How Did I Get Here? Yeah. You said that in 2014 you turned 50, so you would be in your late 50s now. 
in the dance world, that's obviously uh, considered an old age. Some years ago, at this age, a dancer would be required to stop dancing professionally, maybe turn to teaching or something like that. How big of an obstacle is the age in the Australian dance sector at the moment? And is there more room than it used to be for mature dancers? Because my trajectory to the dance world is very different from the majority of the dancers. Usually you start young and go to the professional school or college and become a professional dancer. If you're lucky enough, you get into the professional company. And if you're really talented, you can survive as a choreographer or performer. But because I started late uh, in my mid 20 and I did my first paid gig when I was 39 which is probably about the regular dancers retirement age so I have a very different perspective and well I've been very fortunate over the last five to ten years I have had the opportunity to work with many other artists from dance discipline and other disciplines so I don't really see the age as a obstacle and I know there are several peoples in Sydney they're senior than I am and I can look up to. So infrastructurally within the sector there is no sense of discrimination against the performance of certain age. Mm, Yeah and also I know what I can do and what I don't, uh, what I can't. So I think I know my place. Mm. This is another But thing. also the age, age, age can be an advantage because uh, there aren't many dancers, especially male dancers um, around my age. Mm. That was another question I was wanting to ask whether the body is still as ready to jump and contort and bend and move in certain ways or are you slowly also discovering different kinds of movements and you speak about Uh the advantage that the age brings what kind of advantage does the age bring to what your body offers as well on stage Well, I, I never jumped or contorted, so the agility isn't my specialty. And I can't dance how the 25 years old do, and I don't even try to. But I think as a mature performer, well, I would like to believe that I've got something to offer that dancers in their 20s cannot offer, and I can't really articulate what it is.
You're on ESED Radio. This is Arts Monday, Simpoesis. My name is Ira and I'm in conversation with dancer and choreographer Ryuji Fujimura. We are talking about his dance trilogy Here Now, which is showing in Sydney this August. In the next part of our conversation, you will hear us talk about the difference between performing on stage and performing site-specific works. What is the value of working with a dramaturg? How text and humor can be used to deal with and overcome professional disappointments? What keeps one performing despite all the setbacks? And why there is a homage to the 80s dance flicks in Ryuji's works? ESED Radio, 89.7 FM. We have been speaking about the stage fright and we spoke quite a lot about the stage. But I know that as a performer, you're also quite well known as somebody who works within uh, the other settings. So you often Mm -hmm. perform in public spaces and in a less conventional performance venues. Could Mm -hmm. you speak a bit about the difference between these two experiences for you as a performer, the stage and the other venues? Yeah, the stage, especially the black box stage, is very um, formal space. There's a clear division, you are on stage or you're off stage. So when I perform, I think we talked about stage flight just before, but yeah, when I perform on the stage, I often have a stage flight and question myself, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? <laughs> Is it really worth doing this? Um, whereas a site-specific work, there's a less of it. I'm still getting nervous, so, but, hmm, interesting. Yeah. It's a different experience and I can't really articulate why or what is it. Huh? Mm. Uh, mm. I mean, even the light is often different. You know, you don't have that stage light of darkened theater or mm. this sense of being really watched from one very directional point of view. True, true, true. Yes. Yes, so there's no spotlights. That's the big difference. Uh, mm. yeah, yeah, I think um, in the site-specific work, the demarcation between performer and spectator is less than the traditional theatre space. Uh. Do you approach making of those works in different ways as well? I mean, certainly you do, but in what mm. way do you mm. approach be different. Yes, again, the light plays a big role. So the most recent work, Fall for the Dance, which I'm premiering in two weeks' time in Ramata. Now I'm in consultation with a lighting designer and I just had a discussion with her yesterday, but now the lighting design is affecting the choreography of the dance section which in the site-specific work, uh, usually there's no lighting or lighting will be not the primary element, but in the theatre, you know, when you walk into the theatre, you see 100 lights uh, hanging from the ceiling. 
now that you're mentioning these other aspects of what makes this stage performance, apart from there being a light, there is also mm. a text that you're working with in this whole trilogy, or at least from the second part of it. And now this third part, Fall, Falter Dance, has a text attached to it. And mm -hmm. I would almost think of this text as a stand-up comedy. Uh, yes, and I actually, in this work, I talk like 20 minutes and dance for seven minutes. So the majority of the duration is allocated for me talking my own experience. Uh, and I like going to storytelling events. Uh, there used to be an event called the Moth, uh, monthly storytelling event. And I loved going there. 10 people, all walks of life, just tell their personal story within five minutes. And then the panel of judge, you give them a score. And if you win, if you're the first, uh, you just get the piece of certificate, that's all. <laughs> There's no other prize. I loved going to those events and listening to people's personal story. And somehow I just wanted to connect or combine that storytelling, all our storytelling element with the movement. So as part of a process of making this work, I actually told the couple of stories at the, the most story slam. And I think both times I got ranked a second. So I didn't get the certificate. There's still time at the age of 50 something, it's only at the beginning. But in all this, there is certainly a great sense of humor. And you seem to me as somebody who actually is genuinely a person who approaches the setbacks in life or obstacles or perceived failures with the sense of humor. And we spoke about mm. recovery in the beginning. Mm. And I suppose that one of the ways that you deal with all this is through this comedy. Mm. Your comment just made me realize that actually I made this work as a process of recovery because uh, I have three episodes of failure and disappointment and one of the episodes really, really affected me and haunted me. So I think by making this work and infusing this sort of sad, well, personally sad, but it's, it's, it's totally, totally first world problem. Um, uh, with the humor, I think I just found a way to let go of this experience. On all three of these pieces, you have worked with the same dramaturg, I have noticed. Their name is Carlos Gomez. Uh -huh. Can you talk a bit about this collaboration that a dancer and the storyteller that you are in this particular case has with the dramaturg? What is the role of the dramaturg in the space? And what is the value for you as a performer to have this extra person in the room? What is their function? Yeah. Yeah, um, I actually asked Carlos to be a, my dramaturg for this intensive presentation. So although I made the, the first two pieces before, I only had an outside eye, but not dramaturg. 
But I always wanted to work with Carlos because uh, he is someone I tremendously respect as a theatre director. I had a session with him this morning and it's just, uh, I only see him like once a week or two weeks. But when I work with him, the progress is significant. Uh, and I think because I work on my own in a studio, um, yeah, so I never worked with the dramaturg before, only like outside eye or um, someone who can just give me feedback. But this time, it just um, working with him made me realize that it's just so valuable to have a dramaturg who can dedicate some time to look and give me opinion or idea. Mm. And how is the work of the dramaturg different from this outside eye? What extra do they add to the process? What, what do your sessions, you say that you have sessions every one or two weeks, what do they entail? I'm, I'm still not sure what the dramaturg means, but from my experience, outside eye, they are the people who just give you feedback and dramaturg goes deeper and give me his own idea ideas to try I mean it's ultimately it's just up to me whether um take it or leave it uh, mm. Mm. if you were to reflect now on the entire here now trilogy which you started <laughs> eight years ago 2014 and look back at the very first piece that you made which was called how did I get here and it's still called how did I get here and it will be performed tomorrow at the old Fitzroy Theatre. So if you look back at that piece and then all the way up until now and the latest one called Fall, Falter, Dance, would you say that there were some major shifts in your way of thinking about the dance world and your place in it from the first one to where you are now? Hmm. Well, compared to where I was eight years ago, I'm older. And I have more experience as a performer and still feels, oh, how did I get here? Like now, I'm presenting this solo trilogy across the two different venues. And yeah, it still feels strange. Like how did I end up being here in this town and doing this? Mm-hmm. Not really answering to your question, am I? It's interesting that you are, though, answering with still this question that you have, still this question mark, because one thing that I observed is that while the first two parts of the trilogy had question marks in them, they were both the question. One was, how did I get here? The other one was, how I practice my religion. And in comparison to those two, the third one is more affirmative. It says, fall falter, dance, and it has Mm -hmm. exclamation marks in the title. Mm -hmm. So reading that, it seems that something shifted from this pure questioning to being more affirmative, that you do keep going, that you do keep Mm. dancing. Almost like that's not a question anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess that's manifestation of my determination as represented with uh, lots of exclamation mark and pink headband uh, as part of my costume. 
talking about pink headband, you also in this piece, the the aesthetic of it is 80s dance flicks. Why this choice? What do they represent? I know that you come from Japan. Were there as mm-hmm. being there in your 80s yeah. or childhood? Yeah, well, I, I am a child of the 80s or early, well, late 70s and early 80s. And among the 80s dance films, I love fame, although technically fame was made in 1979. But when I watched the fame, uh, I was a high school student. I thought, oh, wow. That's amazing that those young people go and study art. But somehow I didn't think that's my life. And so I want to be an artist uh, in my next life. (laughs) But I just wanted to pay homage to the 80s dance flick, partly because I grew up in that era, but also I like the almost simplistic, too simplistic uh, earnestness of the heroes in the movie like Dirty Dancing, Footloose, or Fame. Mm. Oh, Fame is a bit different, but Flash Dance. Mm. It makes me think now that you speak about these influences that you grew up with. And in the second piece in the series, How I Practice My Religion, you speak about the archive, the memory archive in the body. So I assume they have left some kind of archive on you even before you actually officially became a dancer. Yeah. I think I was just dancing um, to the soundtrack of Footloose in my bedroom <laughs> when I was a teenager. Do you still dance in your bedroom in this little space that you have been describing to us? N- no, because I dance in a studio, <laughs> so I don't dance in the bedroom anymore. Which raises a good question, because why did I stop dancing in my bedroom? I want to dance in my bedroom again.
my conversation with dancer and choreographer Ryuji Fujimura. We spoke about his dance solo trilogy Here Now, the final piece of which, Fall Falter Dance, will premiere at the Riverside Theatres in Parramatta on August 11. Before that, at the old Fitzroy Theatre here in Wulamulu, you will be able to see the first two parts of the trilogy, How Did I Get Here and How I Practice My Religion. These two will be performed from tomorrow, 2nd of August, all up until August the 6th. For more information, head to Ryuji Fujimura's website, ryujifujimura.com. That is R-Y-U-I-C-H-I-F-U-J-I-M-U-R-A dot com. You're on Easter Radio, Arts Monday, Simpoesis. <laughs>